Hey friends, welcome to The Vital Core Salon, where you get to meet impactful women sharing how they navigate bullshit and sidestep burnout. As always, I'm your host and salonier, Kara Snyder. And today, I want you to meet Dina Burke. She's the founder of Gracias, which is a mission-driven startup working to bring Bitcoin to young women and teens from diverse backgrounds. And before founding Gracias, Dina was the co-founder of a strategic consulting firm called Agency of Trillions, which was acquired by Indiegogo in 2017. She's also an advisor to the female-founded travel startup All Call and a co-founder at Co, a co-working space in Rhinebeck, built on a cooperative community ownership philosophy. And Dina's a working mom. So that's a really long way of saying she's got a lot going on and a lot to teach us. And she's taking time out of her schedule to teach us about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And considering our mindsets around money and financial empowerment, and also avoiding some of the unhealthy pitfalls of being a startup founder, or really a founder of anything. Getting anything off the ground is really hard. So there's lots of lessons in this episode. As you're listening today, if you think of someone in your social circles, whether it be a coworker, a friend, a family member, because a topic you think resonates with them, just take a moment and share this episode with them. It really helps amplify the work that Dina is doing and grow the listener base for this podcast, which I deeply would appreciate your help. Anyways, voila, meet Dina. Hey, Dina, from benevolently stalking you all over the interwebs, it seems like you're a multi-passionate, mission-driven entrepreneur. There's Gracias and your own podcast, Super Money. There's Co, a co-working space in Rhinebeck. There's a ton of consulting projects that you seem to have your hand in. There's being a wife and mom. Am I missing anything? <laughs> Yeah, those are the things. Uh, it's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> all of the things. <laughs> all of the things, yeah. There's, there's one more thing. I'm also an advisor to uh, a travel startup called All Call. And I, I, I want to highlight this because it's a female-founded company. And like my, my work with female leaders and like mentoring young women is just like, so important to me. And like this founder specifically is incredible. The company is incredible, but also just more generally being with women leaders and like nurturing women leaders is like a huge part of what gets me out of bed in the morning. So that's the last thing I'd add to the list. Awesome. Well, it sounds like we're kindred souls <laughs> yeah, in that so. regard. <laughs> I, I, I feel so. like I've been trying to light fires under women's asses for several yeah. years now. You keep doing the good work. <laughs> <laughs> so we just dropped a ton of sort of avenues or paths that we can explore. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel like we should dive in so listeners mm-hmm. can really start to get a sense of who you are? Yeah. So I think um, like the headline for me is, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's driving crypto literacy and ad- adoption with, with young women in particular and teens from diverse backgrounds. Like that's very much my life's work. So I'd say that's the thing. And then within that, uh, I have Gracias, which is um, my startup, and then the, the podcast, which is new. So I think, I think that's sort of where to start. I think with Gracias, it's probably the, the biggest deal 
two questions come to mind. And again, I feel like this is like choose your own adventure podcast today. (laughs) Uh, I guess there's, for the sake of people listening who hear the word Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and then have that funny feeling in their stomach, like I should know what the hell people are talking about, but I don't really know what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's one avenue I definitely want to talk to you about today. Totally. Yeah. And then the other is like, how the hell did you get involved in it in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with what it is, because I know that that it, it like, I don't want to get too far in the conversation. People be like totally turned off because they're like, I don't know what Bitcoin is. Um, yeah, it's like trigger perfect. central, that word, yeah, right? It totally is. It totally is. And so I want to first start off by saying like, I get that. And I hear that from very smart. I hear that same sentiment of like, I don't know what it is. And like, I find it confusing or intimidating, or maybe it's like been too long and I don't know what it is yet. And so like, I've missed the boat somehow. I hear that all the time and I hear it from very, very, very smart people. So like the first thing I want to put into the conversation is like, if that's you, uh, that's fine. It looks totally okay. This is a safe space. And like, that's my job. And like my passion in many ways is helping people through that exact conversation and making it a thing that's like accessible and friendly and like it's a thing for you um, because it is. So that's like the first thing is just like a caveat. Um, But I can, I can explain it. Yeah, I would love that. And I feel like this is a question where I've asked people like, you know, I've been rolling around South by Southwest and like, what, how do you define Bitcoin or things like that? yeah. Yeah. And people get either weird or it seems like, and this is a massive generalization that's going to make me sound like a jerk, but I feel like there's a lot of white men that love to get like super puffed up and be like, well, let me tell you what Bitcoin is, (laughs) which is really translates to let me mansplain the hell out of this and still have you come away not fully sure what's going on, except that you don't want to deal with that person anymore. Yeah. There's so much of that. And uh, it's, Terrible. So yeah, I get that. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you like a, the simplest definition that, I, that I've yet found helpful. So the very simplest definition is that Bitcoin is magical internet money. And like, that's all you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> but one step beyond that, how I like to sort of frame it for beginners is that Bitcoin is money. So it's a new type of money and it's made on the internet for the internet. So unpacking that a little bit, the first part of that definition, it's a new form of money. So it's like, you can think of it as like a container that can effectively hold value. So um, another type of container that can hold value is something like gold, the dollar, whatever. Like these are all containers that hold value. So Bitcoin is a new type of money that can do that. It's made on the internet. So it's software, it's ones and zeros, like there's no like actual coin in the real world. It's totally digital and it's made for internet transacting. So this, this is sort of where it starts to get a little bit like esoteric, but like it's designed natively for a digital age. So like, whereas there's like Venmo and PayPal and all these things, like those are digital veneers over like a legacy financial system. That's not designed for transacting on the internet. Like Bitcoin is natively designed for transacting on the internet. So there's, it enables true peer-to-peer payments without any middlemen, any banks, any you know wires or whatever, or anything like that. So that's sort of like the, the simplest that I can get to. It's still pretty complex, but I think that if you get those basic concepts, like you've got the world of it, I think. 
there are a few like there's like I'd say there's one characteristic that makes it there's a lot but the biggest one that makes it much different than dollars for example is that it's decentralized so there's no uh whereas the dollar is backed and controlled and managed by the U.S. government bitcoin is decentralized there's no single central entity or authority that like that manages it or that makes up the rules for how it can be used and how much it's worth it's totally run by a network so that that's basically it i mean obviously there's a whole other yeah it it goes down like a million other very deep wells (laughs) but yeah it's it's interesting i mean because if you think about it like on the internet like we can't it's not like people can turn ourselves into ones and zeros and say i'll trade you you know the honey from my hive for your goat online right <laughs> like there needed to be another type of money to do that yeah exactly and, and it I, seems like that's the place it was sort of developed in totally it's like how do i as an individual on the internet transact with someone in south sudan another person on the internet how do we figure out a way to do that that doesn't involve my bank their bank maybe they are unbanked right how can we exchange value or exchange money in a way that that I don't need to trust that person, right? Like I can, th- there's there's no um, risk of like fraud or scam. Like we can, everything's transparent. Everything's like, you know, published to the blockchain. That's like a whole other trigger word, which I appreciate. So don't get too caught up on that. Um, but yeah, it's basically like, how can we enable true peer-to-peer payments on this huge internet where no one knows each other and no one can trust each other basically. Um, so yeah. Got it. Do we need to talk about blockchain as well? I don't think we do. I mean, cause that's like, just we, really a set, a set of ledgers, right? I mean, maybe yeah. that's oversimplified for me as a former CPA, but it's, it's like, really that's just it's all the ins and outs, yeah. right? Yeah. It's basically like a big shared Google spreadsheet that like <laughs> tracks all the transactions with Bitcoin. I mean, we could go into the, you know, the ins and outs of it, but um, you don't really need to. And, you know, I think that there's like, you don't necessarily know how your email works, right? Like, I mean, I don't, I'm personally, I mean, I know it's something to do with like packets and like HTTP, wherever, but like, I don't know the deep technology of it. And that's sort of like how I feel about, when you get too deep into how Bitcoin works and mining and blockchain and all of that, like if you're curious and you want to know, amazing, wonderful. Like it's such a fun conversation to have, but if you're not like attracted to that type of conversation or you don't find yourself being like naturally interested in it, like you don't need to know. You can still sort of get what Bitcoin is and like leave all the other stuff aside. So here's a funny question based on that. And because you've just been thrashing around in that space, to your point, we don't get super caught up in like, like I don't overthink signing up for a Gmail account because I don't understand how it works or like I don't need to know all the mechanics behind it. Mm-hmm. It feels like being on the outside looking in, the, the expectation is really different around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah. Where people won't touch it unless they can like, fully dissect it and be a part of it. Yeah. Why do you think there's that difference in expectation? 
Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's something, it's an issue that's like, frankly, plaguing the industry, right? Like that's in many ways, like my work is to try and figure out ways to um, invite people into this world of Bitcoin, um, even though they may not understand what it is or may not want to understand what it is. So like, I guess the first, the first point I make is like, I don't think anyone's figured out, like, as soon as we figure out why, I think we'll be able to figure out how and we'll be able to address it. But like, I don't think really anyone's figured it out yet. I think that the second reason may be because there's a lot of like scary headlines. So what they call in the industry FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, there's a lot of like FUD headlines where Bitcoin you know, talking about the price volatility or um, talking about like some huge and juicy like hack or scam that just happened or crime. Um, also like in Bitcoin's early days, like, you know, like a, like a lot of things on the internet, like it first found its place with um, sort of corners, you know, communities that were in like little dark corners that were not doing great things. So um that it's it's moved past that now, but like you know, it was used by like a lot of shady people in its early days. Um, Silk Road is an example. So, um, so yeah, I think it's sort of a combination of things. But I don't know. I have to believe that we're sort of coming out of that a little bit, at least. You know, it's it's Bitcoin's it's Bitcoin's like eleven years old, I believe. I, I want to fact check that, but I think it's eleven years. I don't know. It's sort of it's it's moving past. It's like it's moving into like it's sort of a teenager now. Like, I think we can like grow up a little bit as an industry and like start to have different types of conversations and find different types of use cases that are more inclusive. Like it's still a little wild. It's still a little impetuous. Yeah, yeah. It's brain might not be fully formed yet, yeah, but it's exactly. <laughs> far more like cognizant and conscious than, than so. a, the toddler so. version. Yeah, I think so. I so, so. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> so how did you first become interested in all this? So it was 2017 and I had just sold my marketing agency. So I, I started a marketing agency like five or six years prior and I had, uh, it was acquired by a company called Indiegogo, a crowdfunding website. And I was, um, I was at Indiegogo and I was frankly like a little bit bored. <laughs> I had sort of landed at this new job where, you know, I wasn't like going from running your own business to then being thrust into like a corporate, more of a corporate, like it was a start, sort of a startup. There was like 150 people. Like I didn't need to do like finance and HR and, and, you know, client management, like all the things that you need to do when you're an entrepreneur. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I was just like a little bit bored and I started doing some, I like got attracted by all the price headlines. So in 2017, you probably, you may or may not remember there was, it was when Bitcoin at the end of that year went up to its highest price point that it's seen yet. So it was everywhere. You couldn't avoid it. Yeah. And, um, I started doing some, tra so I first got attracted because of the price movement and I first, I started doing some trading, of um, what they call altcoins. So altcoins are alternative cryptocurrencies like that aren't Bitcoin. So there's a gazillion of them and 99% of them are totally worthless. But there was some value that some of them had in 2017 and still have today. Um, 
But anyway, I started trading and doing like a little bit of day trading very badly and like lost money. (laughs) It was was basically just gambling and... um, It was hobbyist gambling. Yeah, totally. Just like take my money. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, But I was just like attracted to the world. And that was the first way I could see to get involved. But then after I like lost money and was like this like trading thing, I don't know, whatever, like sort of sucks. I started to like get into the technology a little bit more and like what was actually happening, like lifting up the hood a little bit and being like, what, what's really going on here? Like, what's, why is this a thing? Like, why are people so like freaked out about it or excited about it? Um, and besides the price. And I just like fell in love. I just was like, wow, this is, I mean, with Bitcoin specifically, like it's a, it's a, it's a reinvention of money. And, um, that idea I just was so intoxicated by and still am inc- even more intoxicated by today because it's a, it's a reinvention of money that removes the middlemen and, and it removes the like prejudiced, if not like downright predatory practices of the legacy financial institution that we've been living with for the last you know hundreds of years. Um, it's truly like, I, I mean, I think it's truly radical and I think it's, it's going to be one of the most disruptive pieces of technology technologies that I'll see in my lifetime. So I just, yeah, I was just like, holy, holy crap. Like this is, this is a thing. And this is what I now want to do forever. <laughs> yeah. And as someone who used to have financial services clients, mm-hmm. you know, way back when, you know, when I, I sort of had some auditing clients to really learn the business while at the same time gearing up to go into trouble debt restructuring and bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Like for people listening, I mean, it was, it was wild to kind of work on some of those projects because literally you are just trying to follow the same dollar from this account to this overnight sweep account to mm-hmm. then did that money show back up in the morning like it should have did it go through this clearing house properly like you're just tracing like all these transactions and just getting a sense of like how much machination exists you know like when you use something like venmo you know yeah. you, you brought that up earlier we think it's i love i love how you describe it as kind of a veneer yeah <laughs> Yeah. You know, because it's it's really hiding like the bajillion steps that happen and have to happen seamlessly and invisibly behind the stage. Yeah, there's so much plumbing. And and what you give up there is, first of all, um, you know, Venmo is quote unquote free, but it's not. Like you are giving them so much personal data and there are so many people, there are so many like cogs involved in the plumbing to make Venmo work that need to or want to see that have the access to that data. And you're giving up your privacy and in ways that, I, you know, I don't think I fully understand the ramifications of, but like, I get that if something is free, like, you know, I'm- Yeah, I'm someone's getting something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's on the like sort of good end of things. I'd say- you know, if if we look at the industry with a more critical eye, you know, banks, there are pl- places where ATM fees are reaching um, $5 with certain banks. And, and what, what happens there is that that affects 
disproportionately affect low-income communities because banks don't want to open retail locations in those neighborhoods. And so low-income communities and populations like need to re- need to rely on ATMs in order to have access to their cash. And yet they're the ones that have to pay that tax. Um, the people that actually can't afford it. And like the, the amount of billions upon billions of dollars that banks collected in overdraft fees last year alone, like the mind boggles. And again, like the word predatory is weighty, but it is. And Bitcoin is, or, you know, cryptocurrency technology more generally, like it's a way around all of that. And yeah, I just, it, it's just, again, it's just so exciting for me. And it's so funny that, you know, here we are in and around Kingston, New York. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have to laugh. Like, what is in the water here? Because like, I'm hearing what you're doing. I'm also hearing about what Chris Hewitt is doing with the Hudson Valley Current. Like, what is it about Ulster County trying to <laughs> circumvent like the standard definition of, of money and dollars these days? I have no idea, but I love it. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like there's got to be something in the water. It's it's apparently not the Ashokan. <laughs> Because right, I don't know, right, right. like that would be water. traveling south. But like, right. what is it up here with the radical like rebellion against yeah. standardized you know, money I, as we know it? Who knows? I I grew up in Woodstock, so I'm I'm like a local, uh, sort of that has come back to this area. But I maybe it's like just that like old hippie energy coming back in its new form and <laughs> in, in the twenties. I don't know. <laughs> in its zero and one digital form. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So you got into this because you were sort of watching the price volatility. You got kind of curious, mm-hmm. like are numbers and, and money and economics and all of this, like, is this in your background at all? I can't tell you how much the answer to that is no. Like it's, <laughs> I, it's like so not at all in my background, nothing to do with not like not, none of that. None of that. I hated math. was terrible at it. Um, it could not have any interest in finance, economic, nothing until Bitcoin. But I do think that the, the one thing that was there for me and, you know, hindsight's 2020. So it's, it's easy to find a pattern now at the time. It, it certainly didn't feel like it, but the one thing that was always there for me was like a very keen interest in technology and like emerging tech, like cool emerging tech and how that finds a place in mainstream culture. So I've done work in the past sort of roughly trying to figure out ways to make things like things like 3d printing, for example, like how do we make it feel like it's a thing for people who aren't in that industry. So like I, I was working on in a former life, like doing consulting work and I'd be exposed to all these like very cool things, like, you know, little 3d printers that like are printing like cool, like intricate lattice structures or whatever. And I, I come home and I tell those stories to like my, my best friend, who's a public school teacher or like my sister, who's a nurse, like totally normal people who aren't in the same world that I'm in. And they'd say like, oh, wow, Dina, like, like, that sounds cool. Like, that sounds really awesome. And like, I sort of get it when you talk about it. But like, it never, it doesn't really feel like it's gonna affect my life. Like, it doesn't really feel like it's a thing for me. And sort of figuring out how to, you know, if and how to make something that feels, I don't know, like make technology feel real for people, I guess, is something that I've always really been interested in. So when it came to Bitcoin, and when I when I fell in love with Bitcoin, 
I heard the same things, right? I heard like, it's not a thing for me, like cool, but like not, I don't work in technology. I don't work in finance or whatever. And for the first time I was like, oh, hold up. Like it is like this one. Like I know I was like talking in the past about like, like, I'd like talk a big talk, but like, no, 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 no. This one really is for you. And I just like sort of couldn't let that be, you know what I mean? That like people were feeling left out of it, I guess, in some way. So yeah, but like math, no, economics, no, finance, no, like I'm, I'm definitely like starting from zero and all those things. So what do you think it was about the feeling of being left out? And I ask this question as someone who anytime I'm invited to a party, if I see someone that's like kind of on the periphery and having trouble sort of like breaking into the the social space, so to speak, I'm usually like in their face asking them like 200 oh, questions and then trying sweet. to introduce them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess like maybe, yeah. maybe that just resonates with me personally, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's something interesting there. Um, first of all, I love that. And I'm going to try and be that person at parties from now on. I really, I, I like that quality. Um, yeah, I think there is. So I grew up like, um, you know, very lower middle class. My, my parents were both musicians and like to supplement income. My mom like worked at butcher, like in the grocery store, like in the butcher, like we didn't have any money really. And my dad looked sort of had some success at some point, but it was very much like paycheck to paycheck. And it was just like freelancer, like artist life that we lived. And it was great. And I love my parents. Like I had a wonderful childhood, but we didn't have any money. And when I started in my career in my in my marketing career in my, in my 20s I like started being exposed to worlds of people that did have money and I sort of was like wow like I like hadn't really realized how different I was to those people until like I started being in their world sort of a little bit and feeling like a total outsider oh um, I so know what you're talking about but yeah, keep going yeah and I I think like but beyond besides just like um feeling like maybe like just uncouth or like novel like besides like the sort of superficial things that like I felt I didn't stack up which were like visibly obvious like there was I found that there was a completely different attitude to money um that I couldn't muster up in myself and it, it was one that was like I found that the, the wealthy people that I was like starting to be in community with or whatever was like, they, they thought about money as like, how can I make it work for me? What can I make my dollars like do for me? Whereas I was just like, how do I like, protect? I was like so scarcity mindset of like, how do I like save the like tiny little, like, like scrimping, like, and like just fear-based scarcity of like the money that I'm earning now is going to be gone soon. That's for sure. Whereas these people that I was coming into contact with, they were like, my money is obviously I'm like going to keep coming. And like, how am I going to make it like work? You know, like what's investments? Like, what am I going to be like borrowing? And like all this um, type of thinking that I think more than anything else, I was like, um, I just, I think there's a real like, and it's, it's empowering for them, right? They're, they're making money as a result of that. Like my scarcity mindset around money, like does not help me. And it's something I work on to this day. Um, I 100% have not mastered it, but I don't know. I think I just, I feel like I uh, missed a lesson there. So 
somewhere along the way about like what money is and like how it works and and yeah so I don't know so I I just like I get like sensitive around money and people and that's why I'm like this thing it's emerging now like you don't like like as much as I could like try and learn about like investing and all these other things and like try and like rub my two like shekels together and like build something um I don't come from generational wealth you know like I don't have a trust fund. I would love to have one. I don't have one. So in many ways, the cards are, are stacked against me. And, I, and I'm a person who has incredible privilege. And, and so I just see this. Uh, I, yeah, I just like, to, I see an emerging asset class. And I see a game that's rigged on the other side of the coin, right? Like I see this like other thing, which is like totally rigged. But I see this thing that that I know isn't rigged in crypto and Bitcoin. And I'm like, guys, like, let's look over here. Like, let's see if we can like, there's a level playing field over in this side and maybe we can like make something for ourselves. So that was like a really long winded answer. And I don't even know if I answered your question, but like, I just kind of worked up around that. I think you did answer my question. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, And, you know, I think even if you didn't, there's still, it's still like so much to unpack in what you just said. And in full disclosure, like I get that kind of uncomfortable feeling. Like I was the daughter of a financial systems analyst mm-hmm. and a police officer. And both of my parents went back to school to get associate's degrees when I was in high school. Mm. And that was sort of a comedy of errors, like where everyone was doing whoever's homework they were better at, right? Like, you know, like when my dad had to take a gen ed literature class, I was like, I can do that. And my mother was like, I'll do your accounting homework for high school because I can do that in like 15 minutes. And, And it was this weird sort of swap. But when I got to school as a first generation college student, essentially, or at least the first one in my family to like leave high school and go to college full time and get a bachelor's degree. What I was totally not prepared for was like, especially doing an accounting, I did an accounting major and I guess I didn't file the paperwork for my minor, but I actually did a sociology minor. So that was like, I was already like people in money, people in money, people in numbers, people in data. Um, But I guess I was so presented with the trappings of money and generational wealth and these sort of, I don't even know what to call them because they were sort of invisible until they weren't invisible. I knew that you wore a suit to an interview, but I didn't know you didn't get a job just based on your hard work and your grades. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. Right? Like I didn't know that it was like, oh, so-and-so in my class's dad plays golf with the partner at, yeah. you know, it was Price Waterhouse and Cooper's at the time. Right, 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 right. Or right, right, Anderson right. at the time. Yeah. And it was just like, I didn't realize like all that was happening behind the scenes. And like, I thought like, I'm working so hard. I'm holding down two jobs. I'm going to school full time. I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm working my ass off. And then you find out it's like over a golf game that somebody else yeah got the internship or whatever. Game's rigged. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And it was yeah. also at a time where everyone was like also saying the glass ceiling is cracked. And then like you actually get in the working world and you're like, uh, I don't yeah. I don't know that that's true. Yeah. So I I totally resonate with like 
with that part of your journey, I mean, like, what were some of the lessons for you? Like in just starting to pick up those clues and like figure it out. I want to say that like, I like remained my own independent person and like wasn't swayed by like this, this new world of, of uh, wealth and, and access or whatever. But like I was, you know, I was in my 20s. I was like, okay, I'm like going to try, I'm going to pretend. So like, see, I'm going to like try and like pretend to be this, like, but you know, of course I could, you just can't like, unless you're born into that world. And by the way, like, I, I don't want to be too disparaging because like you can't help it if that's the world that you're born into. And I have many dear friends who have more money than they know what to do with. And like, it's, that's fine. Like, it's fine. It's just um, when you don't have it, uh, it's, you know, whatever. So yeah, I like it. It's sort of like polishing a penny. Like you always know it's going to be a penny, right? Like I, yep. I, I feel like I'm always going to read as like, just an upstate gal that like comes from, you know, lower middle-class stock. Like I can definitely like dress it up better these days and I can like pass in certain situations. I was just thinking of the word (laughs) passing. I I felt like all through college and especially in my PWC days, like just trying to pass. Yeah. (laughs) Like, please don't sniff that. Like I'm, I'm broke. (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my God. I totally get that. And, and you know what? I also, that it's, it's so funny that this concept of passing, I'm like, really, um, it's, it's a lot. It's also, I get that a lot with in the startup world too. So, and it's something that like I'm, I'm dealing with now every day, which is like, do I, like as a non-technical founder, right. As a, as a founder with a software company, basically that doesn't code, right. Like I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. Um, do I like pass? as like a startup founder, or do I have meetings with like VCs and, and, or, you know, potential partners, whatever. And they like sniff me out and they're like, this chick doesn't, she doesn't know her ass from her elbow. Like she doesn't, like, <laughs> she doesn't pass. So uh, I think it's like a theme in my life. Maybe I need to like look at that um, in therapy or something, but yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe it's not for this podcast. <laughs> you can always tell me to back off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I love it. I feel like another thing that you mentioned is, sort of wrestling with the idea of and and facing like taking it head on the idea of of the scarcity mindset Mm. i have to believe that i don't even know what the number would be i don't know a third maybe half of like whoever's listening to this podcast right now has probably had to face that at some point in their life whether it was like a long time thing or just you know life circumstances and it was a short-term pain point and then they went back to normal. Mm -hmm. But I guess what have you found really helpful in sort of either just unpacking it and, and facing it or actually turning it around? Yeah. So I, I like, it's an active area for me, the scarcity mindset around money and I have like 100% not conquered it. And it's something that I work on all the time. So if any of your listeners (laughs) have any resources or tips or whatever, please email me. I'd love to know. I I, I struggle with it to this day. I I just can't. I mean, I think one thing that uh, helps is I am aware of it. You know, like I, I can see it. I can see all sides of it, right? Like I can take a step back and be like, oh, there's the scarcity mindset around money popping up again. Um, okay, let me like get it. Let me, let me just like take a step back. Let me take like get it, get the size of it, right? And I can, can feel it. 
And I think um, putting a little distance between myself and that emotion, uh, feeling, helps with everything, right? Like, and it's, oh, yeah. That, that's just like a tactic generally that I use um, whenever I can remember to do it. But, like, in particular with that, um, because it's like, it, it's, um, it, it's so pointed in certain areas of my life that I can, I, I just do that. So I'm like, okay, that's what's coming up. Um, uh, trying to, to not let myself be, emo- be defined by that emotion, but like, you know, being like, I'm a person that's like seeing that this is the reaction that I'm having to like this particular thing. But yeah, I, I, like I, beyond that, like it's, it's an active one for me. What about you? How do you, do you, do you struggle with this at all? Like, do you manage it? Yeah, not, a, I don't spend as much time on it, I guess. Nice. But I, I, I want to dial back to what you said, because I think it's, it's so important. And I want to get your reaction to this first. And then I can kind of come back and think for a second. Mm-hmm. But what you were mentioning, or at least what I heard, was sort of the awareness around the sharp edges of it. Like you're, yeah. you're at a point where you're like recognizing like, ooh, when I get this certain feeling here, or like I start the, the monkey mind engine yeah. up, like you're at least able to see it for what it is. And what it sounds like you're doing as someone who's like deep into meditation, I mean, it it sounds like, uh, you know, just a noting technique, right? Like yeah. one of my favorite techniques when I'm meditating is really, especially when your mind is really busy, to kind of like when thoughts are coming through and some are gross and negative and make you feel rotten, to just be like, all you have to do is like see it. And then at the most basic level, like just say, ah, that's thinking. Oh, yeah. that's a feeling. Yeah. And you just kind of, it, it forces you into this like third perspective with yourself yeah, you know, or third person perspective where you're kind of just like, ah, there's that recurring shitty thought again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. And you try to just be with it as non-judgmental as possible. I, I think that's important to dial up, or maybe this is me just getting like on my soapbox about this because from so many private conversations I've had with women, the next immediate response is, it's not okay to just sit with it. Now I've got to fix it. Mm. And I think a lot of the women that I've had private conversations with, you know, are type A's and perfectionists. So there's, you, you can't just leave that unfixed, right? Like there's this intense pressure mm-hmm. to not just like be with it and having that be like one of the first biggest pieces of it. Does that make sense? I feel like that was like sort of rambly, but. No, I totally get it. And I was tracking the whole way. You weren't rambling at all. Um, Yes. First of all, that practice is, is everywhere for me all the time, every day. And and I find that it's the most reliable tactic. I I guess it's like mindfulness. It definitely is in in meditation as well. Like that as a thing to try, um, and I've tried a lot of different things. Like that's the one that I can count on to deliver. <laughs> and I, I use it all the time. So it's not just with like scarcity and money. It's like, it's everything. Um, and I think what I, one of the things I, I really, really like about it is that I have found with practice that um, the resolution gets turned up a little bit. So like I am now more, where I, I'm able to like see 
the edges of things a little bit more clearer and I'm able to jump in front of myself experiencing certain emotions faster and I'm able to do it with emotions that are, are more consuming. Right. Um, so I, I would say like money and scarcity is an easy one because I know I'm in a conversation about money, right. Or like I'm, I'm, or I'm, I'm in a conversation about my career or something like that. I can be like, feel something rise and I can, um, look at it and I can be like, Oh, okay. Like I know where we're at. Like I can, okay. I get step back from it. Um, but like things around, um, parenting maybe like where it's like, my, you know, you feel like your, your heart, like explode. Those ones are harder to jump in front of, um, because they're more consuming. But with practice, I found that I'm able to, um, be a little bit more nimble with that mindfulness. And so I'd say like, as a practice, it's really paid off. Um, but I get what you're saying about the drive to like fix it or address it. And, um, I really, really, really get that. And like all like like my only reaction to it and like the only thing I can say to it is that like, you can't. And like, that's not, that's not the practice, right? Like that's, that's something else. So I think like stepping in front of that emotion of like, why do I feel like I need to fix it or address it is like a good one to have in your like library of like things that could come up for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, or just... I think it's the notion that somehow just being with a thought or a feeling is somehow not enough. Yeah. When that is actually the work. Yeah. I mean, totally. like, I sort of set out, I'd always dabbled with meditation over the years. And then a handful of years ago, I was like, I'm going to just do this every day and see what happens. Nice. And then I think that led me down, like, you know, a 500 and some odd day streak. Oh, wonderful. Which was sort of nuts. And I thought I would cry when it ended. And then I was just like, oh, I'll just start again tomorrow. I was so like, I was like, wow, I guess this actually did work. Perfect response. But I always think like, you know, people like around me are always like fascinated. Like, well, what did it do for you? You know, it's always the people that are like, I can't find 10 minutes to do it. Like, well, what did it do for you? Like, sell me on the benefits. Yeah. And I would say like the greatest thing that it's ever given me is like a millisecond pause before spinning out on something. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Which seems like to someone who's like, hasn't touched or played with meditation at all. That probably sounds so lame. (laughs) like lame a gift, but I feel like that millisecond to not be like all like tied to my own ego and be like swung around by it constantly, like just that like split second in my head that's kind of like, how do you want to react to this? Yeah. Do you want to react to this? That's a gift. That's so beautiful. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's sort of neat. Yeah. But I, I guess... I guess going back to your other question, because I, I don't want to dodge it. I feel like I'm firing a bunch of questions at you and, and, and holding a spotlight up to you. I don't get to hide behind it, right? right. I mean, the scarcity mindset is definitely something I, I've been feeling really acutely. I mean, I'm in the middle of a, what feels like to me a, a pretty big career transition. And maybe to people yeah. listening, they're just like, yeah, so you're changing jobs, no big deal. But yeah. when you work for yourself, it's often your identity. 
or a big hunk oh of your identity. Oh, yeah, I feel like we can go there next. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, I made the decision to end what was a 10-year practice. Mm-hmm. Um, probably came to the decision around last January or February. And then it took me a few months to finish up with, with remaining clients. So that was probably, you know, into like May. And then I just had a conversation. I went to the winter mixer at Co last night and I just had a conversation with someone and I've been trying to be like more open and honest about what it's like being in the transition. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs talk about shit when there's a nice pretty bow around it and they feel good. And like they've, you know, they've almost scaled the mountain, but like I'm knee deep in it. Like I, I said last night, I was like, yeah, I don't think I have made more than like $10 like since last May. Yeah. You know, it's just been a year of, it's been a rebuilding year. It was a going back to school year. It was a picking up new skills and and just yeah. hustling. So it's like, I've been feeling that scarcity mindset creeping in. Like, how are yeah. you ever going to make a dollar again? Like, yeah. We're, yeah. and I wish I could say I was cool and like totally oh, yeah. living in this feeling of abundance all the time. But it's something that like, I get up and some days it's like a non-issue. And I'm like, of course, this is all going to come together. And right, then right. there are like days I get up and I'm like, holy shit, I broke my career. Yeah. And am I ever going to earn a dollar again? Because my basket of skills seems to be totally unappealing to people at the right, moment. Right, right, right. Like, right. where am I off? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, all I can say is that I have so much compassion for you in this part of your journey, especially, and I really get it. And um, you just got to keep doing the work. And it sounds like you are. And so I feel, I feel you're you know, I don't want to call it pain, but like, I feel what you're going through a lot. And yeah, I think it's just an exercise in like, how unattached can I stay to an outcome? And as someone who is a strategic thinker by nature, and like a process based person, like I have to really like, push myself out of that space as much as possible. Mm -hmm. When it comes to my own stuff to just be like, oh, that's an assumption, that's an attachment, you know, like my version of noting looks really different right now in the eye of this storm. Yeah. Like, ah, that's just my ego attached to that idea. Like, let it go. Can I just be more neutral about this and just, you know, not hold something so tight that you crush it in your hand? (laughs) Yeah. Man, I get that. Like, I really, even this morning, I was talking to my husband about like, right now I'm like, there's a, there's a couple things in particular with, with Gracias that I really want. Like I'm really wanting, there's a, there's a few outcomes that I'm like, please like do in visualization. And like, these are the things that I want. But at the same time, I know for myself that that feeling of wanting is not a good one for me. It's just not like it, I don't react well. I stuff starts to come up that like clouds me in strange ways. And Um, I like, yeah, I just, I can't be like relied on to be like the person that I want to be when I have this feeling of like wanting that that's as potent as it is right now with with a few key things. And I think that, um, we're also like trained as like entrepreneurs and, and, and freelancers, like that, like that wanting and that like focusing on the next thing that's going to happen. It's like the hustle culture, like whatever, like that's the thing that 
everyone says and we think that we need to do, right? But there, I just, I find there's a real, uh, there's a real tension in my life between really wanting something for my business and being able to stay in a state that is, like you said, unattached to an outcome where you know that's like the healthier state of mind for you to be in. I, I, that tension is, there, is really there for me. Yeah, it's not easy to say that. And, you know, I fear that we're, we're probably sounding ethereal to, to certain people listening. But it's like, I don't know about you, like one of the lessons I've learned about that wanting and planning and trying to be like really strategic and then, and then really like push yourself down a certain path sometimes you close yourself off to things that are like a thousand times better Mm -hmm. that like, I feel like it's like driving down a road and you're so intently looking down the highway at the exit, like 30 miles down that you're, you're just missing like all of the amazing things and the other like sort of off ramps you can get off that might take you somewhere. So amazing. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. And it's hard to balance that. Like what, what helps you balance that? <laughs> um, as a, a you know, a startup founder, entrepreneur, I at first and like still do to the same, but like hopefully less so, tied my identity so much to the thing that I built. And let's call it Gracias. Like that, it was my idea. Um, it's my company. I did everything for it. You know, I now brought in other people to help with certain things, but like it's my. I don't. I like don't want to say it's my baby, but like it's my it's my idea baby. You know what I mean? Like, it's like my thing. And I, you know, I was the branding and, and, and and how it's come to life. Like it is so much a reflection of me and my values and my aesthetic. And I found it at first impossible to separate that from my identity. Right. Because it just like, the facts, like if I looked at the facts, I'm like, no, that is my identity because like I did it. And like, it was all my ideas and like, it's all like my just like design choices, whatever. So like, no, like it is my identity because like I created it. But, um, the problem with letting something be your identity is that man, the highs and the lows are brutal. Right. So like every, I couldn't help but take everything that people would say or any feedback, like, deeply personally about this, this thing that's living outside myself, this thing of gracias, right? Like I was like, it was a raw nerve where if someone was like celebrating it, man, I had never felt better. Like not even my kids, when my kid was born, like I had like never had that type of high before. But Mm -hmm. when, when it was going badly, poorly, like that was like a real a depression that like, I, you know, I, that I also have never felt before. So it just got to a point where I was like, man, this is unsustainable. Like I cannot keep living like this. And I, uh, frankly, you know, what, what's helped me is, um, there's an, the, the there's another found, female founder who I just talk to every day and we just like talk about this because she's, you know, she's, she's going through a similar thing and she has her own startup and she's had to deal with like this idea, this idea of like it being, a reflection of you online for like millions of internet strangers to comment on. And then you like, whatever. And, and the, the only thing that helps is not the the only thing that helps, but the thing that's helped me the most is just talking about it and talking about it with people that like get it and that are 
you know, that are sympathetic. And um, it's been a real relief to find that community. Um, be, and honestly, like, I don't know how people do it without it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I feel like there's almost a tinge sometimes in the startup community that like, if you talk about these things, I mean, it, it's always, oh, God, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. like everyone celebrates failure, but like people rarely talk about like the mental health issues mm-hmm. and like the price that people are paying because it's so easy to like have that identity like wrapped up. Like for anyone with a job listening, like you go to your job and like, if you have a shitty day at work, you drive home, maybe have a glass of wine and like that shitty day is behind you. But Mm -hmm. like often, like very much like you're describing Dina, like it gets murky where you're like, is that me or is that the business? Like, what is that? Because again, like the the manifestation of the business is like all your favorite colors and like your favorite yeah. fonts and then like all like especially when it's like mission driven then it's like your value set is like yeah yeah, yeah. right into it so <laughs> thank you for sharing that oh God, it's just brutal yeah it's brutal and I do think that if you're not like it, the the conversations are are just totally critical but you're right like there there's um. I'd say Silicon Valley in particular, like talks a big game, like you said about like failing fast and often or whatever, but I still see like the myth of the, like the ruthless solo founder, right? Like we think of like Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or whatever. And we're like, no, that's like what we need to look like to win. And you like bet your ass. They're not going on podcasts and talking about like how much and many feelings they're feeling. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're not, they're not doing that. But so it's hard when that's like, when that's the thing that's held up as, you know, our, those are our heroes. Um, I mean, they're not my personal heroes, but like that, that's the hero of the industry to then sort of buck that and be like, no, um, this is really hard. I'm struggling. I don't know how you guys are doing this. And uh, I, I need some help. Like I, I, it's definitely not the, the done thing yet, but I think we'll start to see more of it. Um, I hope. I hope so too. I mean, you know, I don't know if this is Mark Zuckerberg's situation or not. I'm just going to use him as a case in point because his name came up. But it's like, I would love to know what his week looks like. Is it like, oh, I do like an hour of therapy every like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning before I roll to the office. Oh, and my wife and I are in couples counseling and I have no idea what it's like to be a dad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love to hear the gory details of those things, but I, I... I don't know when that will be. I don't, I don't you know. Just, yeah. You just like don't see that type of honesty yet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I have to believe that it's changing at least a little bit. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. And so we've kind of, we've kind of danced around gracias, but I want to mm-hmm. come back and make sure that people understand what that is so they have some context for this conversation do you want to talk about that a little sure so um you can think of gracias basically as like a venmo for bitcoin so i wanted to to build an app that is basically like a very low stakes way for you or for someone to have their first experience with bitcoin um that's like 
tiny dollar equivalent amount. So like less than $5 worth. And it's in an environment that's like very social and friendly and very familiar. And so like the, the user experience is um, hopefully very intuitive for people who are like first timers. And it's basically just like, here's what it feels like to have a little bit of Bitcoin. And I wanted to sort of see that app exists in the world because I found that sort of the, the origin story of Gracias is that. I, I, so I was at Indiegogo and it was, uh, it was around the holidays and I had this team of, of young women who were working for me at the time. And I, I was really into Bitcoin and crypto. And I was like, I was like talking about it all the time and they, and they'd be like, okay, cool. Like whatever. Like, I, like, I don't really, <laughs> okay. You know, like oh, you're going off on Bitcoin again. Um, and I really wanted to give them some, and I wanted to like experience the, like the active ownership of this new thing. And so I went through this whole process in order to do that. It was very complicated. And like th- that alone was sort of like a light bulb of like, Oh, well, this process of like trying to gift people Bitcoin is like broken. So maybe I can try and fix that. But the, the point is, is that when I gave them that Bitcoin, I actually think it was Ethereum. It was a different cryptocurrency, but when I gave them that crypto asset, um, they were disproportionately excited. Like it was only the equivalent, it was like $5 worth of, or like maybe 15 or $20 worth. Like it was, it was not a lot of Bitcoin. Like it wasn't like a whole Bitcoin. It was a small amount and they were pumped. They're really excited. And they were like, just like so excited to like finally ha- like to have skin in the game, right? And it was sort of that moment where I was like, okay, if we make it social, if we, get, if we make it a social thing, we're like, I'm introducing you to the thing and I'm giving you some, right? And we, we can talk about it. And also I can give you some, right? So now you have some. Um, it just, it changed the dynamic um, in such an obvious way that I was like, I think there's something here. Uh, so, so yeah, that's what I built. And uh, you can find it on the App Store and on Google Play. It's a little bit limited in functionality right now, but there will be a exciting V2 that will be launched uh, this year. Nice. So help me understand, is it like wallet meets social network? Yeah. Is it kind of both of those functions? So like, yeah, that's a great do, you way need, to do you need a separate wallet to hold it or no, is it all it, embedded? It's all embedded. Yeah. Right now there's no deposit or withdrawal. So it's, it, it, we basically are giving people very tiny amounts of Bitcoin when they sign up. Um, soon you'll be able to bring Bitcoin in and pull Bitcoin out like as you would a wallet. But for right now, we're sort of just testing out this social concept. Um, but yeah, it's like a social wallet. Got it. So like, what's the questions you're trying to answer at this stage, right? Like you're, yeah. you're giving people like a chance to just kind of like hold it in their pocket, right? Yeah. And just kind yeah. of like... You know, it's kind of like when you have coins in your pocket, like you don't have to be looking at them per se, but you can kind of have your hand in your pocket and you're sort of jingling them around and, ch- and checking yeah, it out, yeah, yeah. And feeling exactly. the gravity yeah. in your pocket kind exactly. of thing. What's the parallel here? Well, you know, my hope is that there's a uh, curiosity that will emerge once y- you do own Bitcoin that will be a like a effective motivator to to learn a little bit more about it. So, for example, on our Instagram channel for the Gracias Instagram channel, like we're we're doing a lot of like passive literacy building. Like we're not like, hey, this is what Bitcoin is in like this dry way. We're trying to do it in a way that feels accessible and it feels um, interesting. And you know, we we pair it with some images that are 
cool and young and fresh or whatever. But the, the point is, is that like, the hope is that people maybe get some for the first time on Gracias and then they'll start to want to learn a little bit more. And so we're also providing that education piece as well. So the first one is, is that true? Right. Like, is that just like my own pipe dream or is that actually true for the communities of people that we're looking to serve? Right. So we're really interested in reaching young women. We're really interested in reaching um, teens from diverse backgrounds. So the question is, like, if we give them some, will they be a little bit more curious about it? Um, And so that's something that we're like actively working on. The second question is what. And this is a big one is, is like what message works and that's like broad I I know but like I I can just like narrowing in on it a little bit it's like okay you know I I can talk about Bitcoin in lots of different ways right like I can talk about it as like a financial instrument I can talk about it as this like like radical like cultural thing I can talk about it as from a technological perspective I can talk about it um you know, just from like a personal like investing perspective, like there's a lot of different ways in to the conversation about Bitcoin, which one is going to land for the people that I care about reaching. That's the, I'd say that's the biggest one that we're, that's the biggest like hypothesis that like I am working every day to try and answer. Um, Because I feel like once we can get to a message that works, then, you know, then we can tell that story. Um, and we can tell it, you know, on a bigger stage, but first, like on this smaller stage that we're on right now, it's like, okay, let's test a lot of different stuff and like, see what people respond to. Got it. So right now it's just sort of feeling out the language, I'd say feeling out the, the message thing. Yeah. Cause of course there's like UX, like user experience stuff and like, apps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I happen to think that's pretty important. <laughs> yes, of course. It, it, I mean, like, uh, of course, all of those things are there on a product level. Absolutely. There, and there, by the way, is a ton that we need to figure out. But I'd say just more broadly and like zoomed out, how do we get, how do we get people to care in the first place? Like we need to get them to care first. Otherwise the product, it could be the best product in the world with the slickest user experience, but no one will use it. So it's really this like idea of like, how do we trigger that curiosity in the first place for people that don't have it or haven't been exposed to it? Um, that's what we need to nail in order for the product to have any chance at all, if that makes sense. It does to me. But again, like it's a, I'm a pretty biased mind at this point, or you're, or you're sort of preaching to the choir is more like it (laughs) as someone who's like transitioning into the world of UX and service design. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I mean, like I can make it a little bit more tangible for people. Okay. So there's a, like a 24 year old girl in, in the Bronx she maybe has Venmo and maybe she Venmos with her friends and she maybe doesn't care about her data privacy and she, it's maybe working fine for her. Um, why does that woman, why does that young woman care about Bitcoin? Like the dollar is working fine for her and maybe she's, always lived in a country that's had a stable currency and maybe she doesn't need to send money overseas. So she's never felt the pain of, you know, exchange fees or, you know, wire transfer fees or the delays that come along with that technology. Um, Maybe she was able to get a bank account really easily because she had a job or her parents helped her get one. Um, 
why does that young woman for which it, uh, something is working for her? Like, how do you get her to, to care about something that's like quote unquote competitive in some ways is tough, right? Like that's, that's the challenge. And, and so, so yeah, it's like getting, getting people who, for whom the dollar is fine and they probably don't spend much time thinking about it. How do we get them thinking about something that's, how do we get them thinking about an alternative? Got it. Where do you hope to take them long-term? Yeah. So because I'm hearing like right now is a time of like changing the mindset, opening, opening people up to, to possibilities. There's, you know, a, a change that's happening, but like, where do you hope to drive them to? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Uh, so there was a book that was uh, released at the end of last year. It was called Bitcoin Billionaires. And it was written about the Winklevoss twins who had amassed like a huge fortune in, because of a, a really early Bitcoin investment. And it's a great book. And like, it, it's great. Like they made a ton of money and that's awesome. But what I would love to see <laughs> is that the next time that that book is written, like in 10 years or in 15 years, like with the next Bitcoin billionaires part two, it's written about a, let's call it a young woman who lives in a town that no one's ever heard of in the middle of nowhere. And she's like 15 or 16, whatever. And she's getting her start on Bitcoin today because she was introduced to this world from, you know, hopefully gracias. And who knows what she'll go on to do and to build and to maybe invest in or to found herself or whatever. But that we were the catalyst for a generation of of young people sort of being exposed to this to the first for the first time in a way that they would they where they would have missed it otherwise. So like that's that's what I'm really focused on is is really sort of just like helping to bring this to places that you know I think aren't being paid attention to if that makes sense. And look, but like I don't know like I want I, there, there's so much possibility and potential for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrencies. Like I, I, I can't be like too prescriptive in like what I see Gracias being or what I see this girl going on to build. Um, but I do know like that first exposure I, I, is, is really the place that I think that we can stand in our standing. So cool. And if I'm backing up from what you're saying and kind of getting some perspective from it, it, it sounds like bringing people together and long-term, hopefully, democratizing who's using Bitcoin, right? Because when I, I yeah. when I hear you describe the Winklevoss twins, which for anyone listening who's not familiar, like they were the twins in the Facebook saga. Um, for anyone who's seen the movie, <laughs> at a really high level, that's what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> they come from a wealthy family and generational wealth. And, you know, as I was thinking about like Winklevoss twins and then thinking about the demographic of the woman you described, it's like there's something about Bitcoin. I imagine you hear this a lot where instead of thinking it's just money, people probably often think of it more in aligned with like, mutual funds and investment yeah. vehicles and yeah, derivatives yeah, yeah, yeah. and like these confusing things that make rich people more money. 
Yeah. Or that, that we feel separate from, or that like I, as a teenage girl probably would have felt separate from Uh in some ways. Totally. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a leveling of the playing field and at least like not necessarily like pushing people on any path, but just saying like, here, come check it out. Water's fine. That's it. That's totally <laughs> it for me. The, the jury's still out, you know, like we actually don't know what this thing is going to become. And, you know, there's, there's like a hot debate in the industry about like whether Bitcoin is better as an investment tool. Like, is it really just like a digital gold like, is it just something you buy and you hold on to and you wait for it to appreciate in value? Or is it a money? Like, do we use it as money and do we transact with it and do we buy coffee with it? And so that's like something that I have some opinions on that, but like, I think is as yet to be determined for Bitcoin. It's still so young. It's still so early. We're all still so early, so early. And yeah, I, I, so I don't know. I don't want to be too prescriptive. I don't, I don't know. I just want, I want to help just like a, ignite a little curiosity. That would be a win for me. Very cool. Thanks. <laughs> I feel like anyone doing anything that at least just ignites a curiosity and exposes people to something new just is delightful to me in, in so many ways. <laughs> I'm always preaching that I just wish people would be more curious, like, and not just curious when it's easy, like, oh, yeah. who sings this song? but like (laughs) curious inwardly and curious externally. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough though. We'll see. I mean, (laughs) we'll see. It's hard to get, um, it's hard to get people to care about something that, um, that they don't already. So watch the space, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, let's talk about that. Like, how do you manage that? Because being the founder of a startup and especially one where it's not an easily defined product and you're actually probably having to take people through, I I would call it like the trans theoretical model of change, right? Like for anyone who's ever done any coaching work or advising or things like that, I mean, there's like a whole defined model of how people sort of bump up against a new idea, how and when they decide to take it in as an idea and then play with it as an idea and mull around it and then actually do something with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. psychologists have studied that for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 30 years or so. But it's how do you sit with it and has it ever burned you out? Absolutely has, 100%. And I... Um, at, for a long time, I thought burnout was just like, oh, you work too long. Like you like, or you're like burning the candle at both ends or whatever. And you're like, just long hours. Um, but someone recently told me like a definition, which I'm like, oh, wow, that's me. Where they, where it's like you burnout's like, and I'd love to hear your definition, but like where it's not just about like the time that you put into work or like the hours at your desk, but it's about working on something and 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 not seeing progress or not seeing output from it. I don't know. Do you do you share that definition? Like, well, I'd love to hear your definition of burnout. Um. So here is where it's like probably no surprise that I be you know transitioned into becoming a UX person because I think my definition doesn't matter, right? Like the only definition that matters for anything is is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, even like with this podcast, right? Like I sent you questions and, and sort of always have a caveat when it comes to bullshit or burnout. It's like, 
that is your definition, right? right like right, you right, get right, to right. own it. Right. I mean, I feel like on the other hand, I probably have like 150 different definitions right. that I hold <laughs> from like years of working with clients talking about those things specifically. Yeah. 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 But you know, sometimes like at the most basic level, like if we're talking about physical, physical burnout, right? Which was something I was brokering a lot in with clients. I mean, like there's a lot of ways to think about it. And, you know, you can look at endocrine measures and like all mm-hmm. sorts of things and you can make it really complicated. But one of the questions that I typically would ask clients, you know, early on in working was like, when is the last time you woke up and felt rested? And I mean, I had one potential client, um, her schedule was too busy and opted to just not work together. But during an intake session, I was like, you know, when was the last time you felt rested? And she was quiet for like a minute. You know, it was almost like tapping the microphone and being like, are you, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she really sheepishly said 1997. Ooh. Right. So like if people listening are like talking about burnout, like if you want to check in with yourself, like that's one of like the fastest ways possible. Like when was the last time you felt rested? And if, if it's, you know, not in the last month or, or so, you know, or if, if it's not at the end of like, you know, if you have a, a sick or aging parent or if, you know, there's something you're going through a divorce or whatever, like sometimes there's some situational reasons why you haven't felt rested or felt good. But then, you know, there's other times where it's like, just check in. Yeah. You know, and then, I mean, you know, you also have to consider the, the mental piece of it, like the mental and emotional piece of it. Then you also have to consider like, where do you just feel like spiritually bankrupt, right? Like, yeah. are you exhausted because you're not tied to anything, you know, around your why? Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a lot of different ways to come at burnout. That probably didn't answer your question now. No, it did. <laughs> I, I think for me, how I sort of take the pulse of my own um, sort of state of affairs on burnout is how healthy is my inner monologue around how, like how kind am I being to myself? How, how kind am I being about the work? How like on the pessimistic to optimistic scale, like, Am I, have I plunged into the depths of pessimism? Like, am I, that's like how I take my own temperature on burnout. And, um, and I find that I, I had found that when I wasn't getting as much external validation for Gracias, that sense of burnout would, yeah, for, it would, it would rear its ugly head. But I have been trying to like separate the validation from the sense of achievement, I guess, if that makes sense. And, Mm -hmm. and the way I'm able to do that is just by like, as often as I can returning to why it is I'm doing what I'm doing. And as long as, as long as I can get back to that, then I can get things back on, on the tracks. But, um, but yeah, I mean, burnout is, uh, I've felt it. I, um, it's something that like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the lookout for 
uh, diligently. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I have as best I can strategies in place to try and manage it when it comes. I, and I'd also say um, another thing that like hasn't come up at all in this podcast is that none of this matters. <laughs> like there's like a very like <laughs> meta attitude that I can, you know, that's that, that I can sometimes cultivate, which is like, wow, like this doesn't matter at all. And, um, and, and sort of returning to that and not in like a nihilistic way, like in a way that's like, am I healthy? Like, am I alive right now? And I, am I breathing? Yes. Great. Well then I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> if I can get back to that, then like, and if I can like have that in my sights, then like sometimes I can, I can also manage it. But like, yeah, I saw, I saw this quote recently that was like, you where you, you like treat everything both like it's the most important thing in the world and also like it doesn't matter at all so like I'm fully here in this conversation with you right now and like I'm present and I'm here and it's awesome but also like if I were to like totally go blank and like not have anything to say for the rest of like it'd be fine I'm fine I'm living I'm breathing I'm like I still have a pulse and, yes um you know, like having that perspective I, I is so helpful. Yeah, something like I was feeling like extra amped earlier this week because it was sort of like everything and everyone that I reached out to, like from like early November through December, it was like I didn't hear anything from anyone. Mm. And it's like when you're in the middle of a career transition, you're just like, am I poison ivy or are people just busy? <laughs> Yeah. And it was like, even it was like personal, it was work related. It was just yeah. socially, it was like everywhere. It was just crickets. Yeah. And I feel like I got in my own head and then like last week, everyone came online and I think like 80% of my emails were like, so sorry, I'm just oh. replying to this now. <laughs> and then everything went crazy. Like, you know, yeah. Several projects kind of are just like ramping up all at once. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot to close my calendar as a podcast host. So I typically like limit it so that I'm only recording one a week. So it, you know, so I don't have like a major like bottleneck of work kind of yeah. pile up on me. And because I was sort of getting behind, I was like, ah, I'll leave it open to do like two or three a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was sort of bobbling with that number a little and like, no one was booking. It was like super disorganized. And then I went to some meetings last week and I came home and within like six hours of being gone, it was like, I think I'm recording like two a week into February, oh, which See, is a great, great problem to have. But I was like, yeah. oh my God, where do I sleep? What's going on? What's happening? Right. <laughs> um, and I guess like, I just share all that because it's, it's, it's sort of like these moments where you have to like get back into your skin and then you have to be like, okay, I'm freaking out because there aren't enough hours in the day. However, yeah. this is a really awesome problem to have. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're in the business of loving to ask women questions and amplify what they're doing, like gold rush, like this yeah. is happening in January. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, I feel like you also brought something up that was really important in terms of like, returning to your why. Yeah. And this may be a tough question to answer, but I'm going to, I'm going to pitch it at you anyways. Like, how do you do that? Or what does your process look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, like I will level set with myself, get some fresh perspective, like go outside, 
go read some fiction, right? Like get, or, or like get completely out of the world of my industry or my head or whatever. And like, we'll just like go and like, and like, like clear, clear the palette. You know what I mean? And like get, get everything feeling like I can just a little bit fresh pressure. Um, so after I've done that, then, um, I think having conversations with the people that I'm out to serve is the fastest way that I can know how to get there. So I'm lucky and that my why is connected to um, people that I could like name, right. And I could identify. And I think that, or rather, yeah, just the most efficient, the quickest way I know how to get to that why is calling up someone, you know, my niece, she's 15, calling her up, having coffee with her or lunch with her or something and just talking about like what she thinks about money or like how she's thinking about her future or like how she's thinking about work or what she wants to do. And like, and, and that's just like, I'm instantly back to why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I guess that, that would, that would be like my technique, I guess. Got it. It's really helpful. I have a follow-up question too. Okay. How do you know when to clear the palette? Because I feel like for a lot of type A women, like they are dra- driving down the highway at 150 miles an hour, like we're talking Audubon speeds, mm-hmm. and the wheels might literally be falling off the car, but they're going too fast to even know it, yeah. Yeah. never mind like to pump the brakes. So from that yeah. context, like how in the moment do you recognize like I got to get fresh? Yeah. Well, first of all, I I don't think I let myself get to that place or I don't let myself get to that place very often. I have a pretty consistent like daily practice of um, just like taking care of my body, like myself and my body and like getting enough sleep. Like I have like a lot of like rigorous systems in place to make sure that like my body's okay, Um, including like getting some exercise, not every day, but like regularly and I have like an evening routine that I try to stick to like as often as I can, except for if I'm traveling where I'm, I have a consistency around my sleep schedule. Ooh, so, tell me more. Well, I just like, I, I'm just like, I'm in bed 90% of the nights I'm in bed at nine 30. Yeah. I just have like a militancy around like sleep and my body and taking care of myself. So like, I, I try to never get to that point. Um, but of course it happens. And so I get, I don't know, I sort of am sidestepping a question, but I guess I'm like cleaning, I'm cleansing my palate every day, I guess, by capturing time for myself, um, whether it's like with my sleep schedule or with exercise or whatever it is. So maybe that's like a cliche answer, but, um, but I really don't like finding myself driving down the highway at 90 miles per hour, like, and veering out of control. Like it's a, it's, I, I like, I put a lot of things into place so that I don't get to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm hearing sleep. I'm hearing regular exercise and movement, which I mean, those two. So I have three things that are like non-essential that pop up on my calendar most or every day. Mm -hmm. And one is just a reminder to move your body. And it, you know, and that is me getting to a place with that where it's just like, ah, do I need yoga or do I need to like jump up and down on a trampoline or do I need to do something? Yeah. 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 Oh, I walk almost every single day. Like that is like the constitutional. Be nice. (laughs) But I think like, so I'm hearing sleep. Yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing exercise. Are there other things 
that would be helpful for other women listening to know? Like in terms of that, like how to not get to that point? Honestly, those are the big ones for me. Um, and uh, being in community with other women is so powerful. And like, like I mentioned, having that conversation with that other, like I have a constant text thread or phone call with this other founder who every day we're just like, yeah, like validating each other's existence and like validating each other's feelings and, and experience. And it like, it just, it's a, it's a real, it's really life-giving I find. Yeah. It's, there's a podcast coming out. It'll be out in February and here we are recording in January with Dr. Julian Holt Lundsted, who's a huge researcher in, in terms of social connection and like, you know, I can't wait for you and everyone else listening. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll be out by the time people are listening to this, (laughs) but I think how much, so many of us underplay like that need for social connection. Mm -hmm. And she talks about like how it legitimately links to our physical health, not just mental and emotional health. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. So it does not surprise me that that is so life giving. And, and Mm -hmm. I don't think any of these things are cliche. And I, I think, you know, to, to really applaud what you're talking about and, and lift it up a little, it's, the fact that you prioritize it in in an industry and in a role where, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that like turned me off about the New York startup scene, you know, a decade ago when I sort of was like, okay, bye, I'm gonna go do my own thing over here was like that hustle, like yeah. that hustle bullshit. Like, yeah. yeah, like drive your car 150 miles an hour into a tree. Like who yeah, gives yeah, a shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burn yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just how yeah. you do it. Yeah. Like I just I never could understand like when especially dudes, but I think a lot of women do this as well. I just happen to be around a lot of dudes where it was just like a badge of honor to come in and be like, I only slept three hours. And it's like, yeah. oh, so you're operating like you're drunk. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks yeah. for bringing your yeah, best yeah, self yeah, to work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just, it like, it just doesn't work for me full stop. So I'm like, I gotta, this is how I can do this. So there's no other option for me. (laughs) Me neither. And, and I am in the like, I'm in the like eight to nine hours of sleep club. I feel like we've talked about so many things that you're doing and then also like not a lot of (laughs) things that you're doing. Is there, is there anything else that you want to cover or do you want to share with listeners what you most want them to know or take away? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the only other thing is that I have a podcast um, and it's called super money and yes, I, it's uh, great. I, yeah. I'm on episode uh, three or four, I believe. So um, would uh, enjoy any feedback or questions, whatever that any of you guys have on that. So that would be wonderful. Um, so that's the, that's the one like, thing with the like one like job thing but in terms of leaving you with anything and your and your your listeners I, I'd say there's there's two things um the first is that I think and I'm increasingly convinced that vulnerability is an asset um for leaders and and in particular for for women leaders and and uh it's hard to embrace that 
um, that vulnerability. It's, it's certainly not encouraged, um, but I have found that I've made so many deeper and more meaningful connections with people as a result of being open and honest and vulnerable. And so I guess the, you know, the only thing in that is just like encouraging that if that's something that comes to you naturally um, and you find you want to explore in yourself, but maybe you're nervous or don't have any like um, templates or examples to look to as like successful, like case studies for people that have done that. Like, I just want to say that like, I'm like loving my like feeling and vulnerable life right now. And um, <laughs> I want to like really encourage that in other women. If that's like what, if that's the expression that they're, they're finding comes naturally to them. Uh, yes. that land for you? Yeah. I mean, have you read Braving the Wilderness? I haven't. By Brene Brown? Oh, no, but I, I'm excited I mean, about her. Process. Obviously, everyone knows Brene yeah. Brown's work at this point, but Braving the Wilderness, okay, wonderful. I think, really speaks to what you just shared. In it, she kind of gives like a template for how to do mm -hmm. it in different mm -hmm. ways. One, I think you might dig it, but I also think a lot of women listening yeah. might dig it as well. Yes, that's going on the list. I think the, the other thing is that my career, like career path, like if we want to call that it, that has like been not at all linear. And, um, and I guess I just want to be like another voice to say that like, that's okay for if any of your listeners are, are like maybe feeling some insecurity or struggling with that, or maybe feel the same way that like, um, I don't think, I think they rarely are. Um, and again, I think there's like a myth of how things are, you know, supposed to look or how things look when they're going well. And um, amongst my friends and, and in my, you know, community of, of people and, and women, especially like, um, I've so rarely see a, a obvious linear path for how someone's career um, evolves. And, and I've recently started thinking about like, how do I treat my career or maybe even my life, but like, how do I treat my career specifically like as an experiment rather than a ladder? And it's been really freeing for me to have that context for thinking about like what I'm doing and, and what I might do next. Well, Dina, I am personally taking that in. Um, I I can't be the only person listening to this conversation that is taking that in, but I thank you. Cause I feel like for me, that's something I deeply yeah. need to hear and be reminded yeah. of um, that careers are iterative. Yeah. Right. And, and I say that from like waiting waist high in phone calls and networking events and meetings with new people where I'm constantly having to try to distill yeah. <laughs> how I was a CPA doing trouble debt restructuring right. and then eventually working in startups right. for the first 10 years of my career, then was a health and lifestyle strategist and now a designer yeah. and like how those things relate to each yeah. other. Like, cause I, you know, I realized from the outside looking in, like people must be like, what in the hell is she doing? Yeah. That makes no sense. But then there are certain threads that I've been doing the same work for 20 years. Yeah. There are certain elements of all of those things that are exactly the same. And I feel like, you know, having to parse that out for people over and over and over lately, it's, 
I think what you said really resonates so strong with me yeah. that it's like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, you have to make sense of it for other people in some way, but it's not a bad thing. And I think initially I was like, oh, like feeling like I had to justify it mm-hmm. to people so they wouldn't think I'm a flake. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, yeah. You really hit on a raw nerve for me personally. So thank you. Wonderful. And Wonderful. I would say I am probably not alone. <laughs> <laughs> Dina, you have been such a gracious and wonderful and just such a human, so open and honest. Thank you so much for everything. Oh, man. Such a deep pleasure. Thank you so much for all of your thoughtful questions and every, it's just been such a joy connecting with you. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. And cheers to Gracias. And hopefully people will now leave this podcast and go check out Super Money. Zowie, zowie, folks. Dina really took us to school today, right? If you're into what Dina's doing, things like shaking up attitudes around money, cryptocurrency, and not burning out starting something, please share this episode with one human you know. Subscribe where you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, check out Dina's podcast, Super Money. It's short, it's awesome, it's really informative, and the story around cryptocurrency is wild. So check it out. Before I bounce today, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to all of you listening, to Dina for helping me make this episode, and to my producer Craig Snyder, my assistant Darlene Victoria, Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone, and the High Dials for the excellent theme song. And last, but definitely not least, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you.